And we welcome you to the Thursday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. On today's morning show, you're going to be hearing from the two candidates for the U.S. 1st Congressional District in Wisconsin, incumbent Brian Stile and his Democratic challenger, Roger Pollack. I recorded separate interviews with each of these gentlemen, posing to them essentially the same array of questions. We have flipped a coin to determine the air order for today's program, and incumbent Brian Stiles' interview will be heard first. Challenger Roger Pollock's interview will be heard second. Thank you for listening. We spend the next few minutes of WGTD's morning show with Brian Stile, who is the first uh, congressional uh, U.S. representative representing this portion of the state of Wisconsin and, of course, the incumbent in the upcoming uh, election uh, for that seat. And uh, we appreciate Brian Stile making time in his uh, schedule to join us to answer a few questions on today's morning show. Brian Stile, we welcome you to the program. Thanks for having me on. Uh, let's begin, if we could, with a bit of a capsule biography in which we find out a little bit about who you are, where you come from, your own connection uh, with the state of Wisconsin and this part of the state, and kind of your professional path that ultimately uh, led you to where you are today. I appreciate you having me on today. I was born and raised in Janesville, Wisconsin, and still live in Janesville today uh, in a house I bought uh, about six, seven years ago here in Janesville. Before I ran for office, I had never run for elected office before. Two years ago, I would joke that the last time I ran for anything was in seventh grade uh, student council. So I stand for my first ever re-election. I worked in the manufacturing industry in Rock County. I worked uh, at Regal Beloit Corporation in Beloit. I then worked at Charter NEX in Milton, Wisconsin, a plastics manufacturer. And I saw firsthand uh, how the federal government would get in the way of job creation, of wage growth right here uh, in our community. I also served on the University of Wisconsin Board of Regents. That's the board, the kind of the school board, so to speak, of the University of Wisconsin system overseeing University of Wisconsin Whitewater, University of Wisconsin Parkside, and the flagship University of Wisconsin Madison. And I saw the importance of making sure that we are preparing our workers for the jobs of the future. Uh, When this seat opened two years ago, I thought there was an opportunity to take some of those private sector skills, about getting folks to work, about giving people a better job, a higher paying job, and putting them to work in Washington. Uh, The voters gave me that privilege two years ago, uh, and I returned today to voters asking them uh, for the honor of representing and being their voice in Washington for two more years. Has serving in the U.S. Congress been uh, the uh, what you expected it to be, or have there been some surprises? There have been a lot of surprises over the last two years. Uh, this this year in particular is described to me like an infomercial where you get to the end and then they say, but wait, there's more. I feel like this has been a challenging year uh, for many people. I've heard just incredibly challenging stories of people who are uh, concerned about their health. Uh, they've lost loved ones. I've heard uh, stories of people who've lost their job and are concerned uh, about potentially losing their job. On a personal level in D.C., I think the most surprising thing that I have seen is the partisanship in Washington that gets in the way of good policy. Now, that doesn't mean I was Pollyannish arriving, thinking that everyone would hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But until I arrived, I didn't fully appreciate how deep that partisanship is. And I put a lot of work and effort into trying to bridge that by building relationships across the aisle. An example of that would be I'm the co-chair of the Future of Work Caucus 
uh, with Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester from Delaware, a Democrat. Uh, her and I both come from the private sector background, and we spend a lot of time working on where can we work together to move our country forward, in particular as it involves skills preparation, work preparation. How do we get technical college skill sets into our high schools? How do we make sure workers are prepared for the jobs of the future? These types of things shouldn't be partisan, uh, and I'm making my effort with her uh, and with other colleagues uh, across the aisle to try to bridge that divide so that we can get better policies on behalf of people here in southeast Wisconsin. One of the most difficult uh, experiences in this part of the state, of course, uh, revolves around the, the shooting of Jacob Blake in late August and, of course, the demonstrations and ultimately uh, the rioting that that uh, occurred in the wake of that. And needless to say, there is all kinds of important work and difficult work that needs to be done, uh, particularly around issues of, of race and racism and justice and so on. How do you see us moving on some of these difficult issues and what role do you see yourself playing in that important and difficult work? I, I look uh, to a lot of my work to the opening of the United States Constitution that sets forward that we, the people of the United States, in order to create a more perfect union, that is why we set up the United States government, uh, the system that we have today, is to create a more perfect union. I take that to heart day in and day out, about what we can do to move our country forward. There's been very difficult times. They've been highlighted uh, in some of very challenging videos to watch. You I, you identified one with the shooting of Jacob Blake. We need to, to look and determine what we can do to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to live out the American dream. And for sure, there are many groups in our society that don't feel that they've had a fair shake. I think there's policies that we could put forward that would help a lot of these folks. Uh, if you look uh, at the, the tax reform that went through with opportunity zones. That's encouraging businesses to come and invest and create jobs in some of our most hard-hit communities, whether that's downtown Kenosha or the three opportunity zones located in Racine. I think that's a way to make sure that we're getting job opportunities to some of our more challenged communities uh, in southeast Wisconsin. I look at school choice, an opportunity to make sure that moms and dads have the opportunity to send their child to the best school, to the safest school. Uh, I think that plays out strongly in particular uh, in Racine, where many young uh, African-Americans have an opportunity to receive the best education. I think there's policies that we can put forward that make sure that everyone in the United States has the opportunity to live out the American dream. Uh, as we are recording this interview, uh, Wisconsin is showing some uh, alarming numbers in terms of COVID-19. Uh, how would you assess the way in which our country in general and our state in particular has, has met the challenge of COVID-19? And uh, what, if anything, do you think we can do better uh, in, in the months ahead uh, in terms of this uh, ongoing crisis? There's a lot of work that's been done, but there's a lot of work that we still need to do to tackle the coronavirus and ultimately keep America healthy. Early on, uh, I think you saw Congress come together, pass four key pieces of legislation, in particular the CARES Act. Uh, when the CARES Act was passing, if you recall back, there weren't easy flights. I actually got in my Chevy and drove from my home in Janesville, Wisconsin, to Washington, D.C., to help get that bill 
across the line. Uh, that provided direct relief to individuals, uh, $1,200 checks for most Americans. It provided funding for our hospitals so our nurses and doctors would have the equipment that they needed. It provided the Paycheck Protection Program, which protected over 100,000 jobs in southeast Wisconsin to make sure that people were receiving their paycheck so that they could cover their groceries, cover their rent, uh, and continue uh, navigating their way through these very difficult times. As we go forward, I think what is ultimately paramount is that we ultimately defeat this disease. I think we will by developing a vaccine and having that widely and freely available. I think we're approaching that. It's been record speed on the development. We're getting closer. We need, though, to get all the way across the line so that everyone who wants to receive uh, the coronavirus vaccine when it becomes available, when it's approved for being healthy, is able to obtain it. We need to continue to provide relief to those who've been negatively impacted through no fault of their own. Partisanship has once again gotten in the way of Washington, D.C. getting to work. We need to come back to the table uh, immediately after this election uh, and drive across the line to make sure that those who have fallen on hard times through no fault of their own are able to receive the relief that they need. We need to make sure that we're keeping people employed in their jobs, making sure people are getting their paychecks, and then ultimately making sure that our frontline workers, in particular our nurses and doctors, have the tools and resources they need to be able to keep us healthy. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with uh, Brian Stile, who is the uh, U.S. representative for the 1st District of, of Wisconsin and, of course, the incumbent in this upcoming uh, election. Uh, two questions uh, closely related to uh, COVID-19. Uh, you've already touched on the fact that our economy has been gravely damaged by COVID-19. I mean, the overall economy and, and uh, individual Americans, of course, many of them have been touched in really difficult ways in terms of the economic ramifications of all this. As far as you're concerned, what need to be the central tenets for rebuilding uh, our economy uh, going forward, uh, particularly in in the midst of what is still a a somewhat uncertain and difficult situation involving COVID-19? I believe that there are two key things that we need to work on to get everybody back to work. One, we're ultimately going to need to defeat this virus from a health standpoint. This is a health crisis, and the number one answer is to defeat the coronavirus and to end the health crisis that we have. Two, we need to continue to put in place pro-growth policies in Washington, D.C. that encourage job creation here in southeast Wisconsin. We need to maintain competitive tax rates. Why do I say that? It's because we want job creators to come to our community to hire our workers. We have the best workforce, not just in Wisconsin or in the United States. We have the best workforce in the world here in southeast Wisconsin. And we need to put in place pro-growth policies that drive us forward. One aspect of that is to have trade agreements that work for American workers and American farmers, where Congress passed this year, and I vote in favor of USMCA. That's that trade agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. That trade agreement was a better trade agreement, giving our farmers the ability to trade goods freely, fairly, and reciprocally. It gives our manufacturers the opportunity to take products made in southeast Wisconsin and sell them freely and fairly around the world. We need to have trade agreements that are in the favor of U.S. workers and U.S. farmers. We need to have tax policies that are competitive. We need to have 
pro-growth policies that encourage job creators to come to Southeast Wisconsin to hire the best and the brightest to make sure that everyone who wants a job is able to find one and that those who have them are able to find a better job or a higher paying job. Also related, of course, to COVID-19, but uh, an important issue even beyond that is the matter of health care. And of course, it is uh, among the most hotly uh, debated uh, issues right now in terms of what kind of health care system we should have uh, if something like the Affordable Care Act is workable or if it needs to be discarded in favor of something else. Where do you come down on the issue of health care and what would be uh, the most effective uh, system for America right now? We need to make sure that everyone has access to affordable and available health care. That's one of the challenges that we've had is the cost of health care and folks as they see their health insurance costs going up, it's making that health care less affordable and less accessible. How do we drive down costs and improve quality? You do that by putting doctors and patients at the center of the decision-making process, not a one-size-fits-all government approach from Washington, D.C. If you look at the benefits that we've had through, say, health savings accounts that put patients and doctors in charge of some of the decision-making process, what we have seen is continually decreases in price and improvements in quality. We need to continue to look at that. Another area where I think we can make great improvements is on the cost of prescription drugs. There's a number of bills that I am a sponsor of that I think would be quite productive on reducing the cost of prescription drugs for our seniors. An example of that would be far too often large pharmaceutical companies will prevent generic drugs, meaning competition, from making it to the marketplace. Well, as we know, once there's competition in the marketplace, the price is going to go down and the quality is going to go up. We need to continue to look for creative ways, in particular as it relates to prescription drugs, to provide that competition in the marketplace, to hold pharmaceutical companies accountable. We're trying to prevent that competition so we can drive the cost of drugs down, in particular uh, for our seniors uh, and those on fixed income. Finally, we need to make sure that we protect Medicare. Medicare is a promise we've made to our seniors, and it's a promise that we need to keep. In doing that, we need to be very thoughtful of the overall spending levels in the federal government. That's what puts Medicare at risk. And Medicare is a promise that I uh, look every day at that we have made to our seniors, and it's a promise that we need to keep. And it's one of the things that I have in my head every day when we look at some of the massive spending bills coming out of Washington, D.C., is what will this spending bill do as it relates to protecting Medicare for our seniors? How high a priority for you is the matter of climate change? Do you think that climate change is real or a, a, a real concern, a real threat? And, and, and if so, what do you think America needs to do uh, in terms of, of creating solutions or responses to climate change? I believe climate change is real and it is a real concern. What should we do to address it? I'd look at two key things. One, in the United States of America, we should be driving forward technology that allows us to have greener sources of energy. In particular, what we have seen is an explosion of opportunities in wind and in solar. The next step is going to be able to store that type of energy so that we can use it when the wind's not blowing or when the sun's not shining. And in Wisconsin, that's often the case. <laughs> I am supportive of a bill 
that would provide incentives uh, for that research and development so that next piece of technology to take us from where we are today utilizing renewable energy sources to the next level so that we can store those energy resources, say, overnight when the sun's not shining or on a calm day uh, like it is outside my house this morning. And that will allow us to continue down the path of developing clean energy sources. Two, we need to make sure that we're holding other countries accountable for their disastrous environmental policies. In particular, we need to hold China and India accountable for their environmental degradation. That's a major problem that we're seeing across the globe. The the global uh, environment is what's at stake, and we need to make sure that we're holding countries such as China and India accountable. Failure to do that will simply take U.S. emissions and U.S. jobs with them and ship them to China. What we want to do is hold China and India accountable, keep good family-supporting U.S. jobs here in the United States of America. We can do that by holding other countries accountable for their environmental practices. We are living right now in uh, a painfully divided America. I think just about everybody would agree. Uh, You've already touched on this in your opening remarks. Uh, What path forward do you see? How important is it for us to come together as a nation across some of these really sharp uh, partisan and ideological uh, divides? And what role do you see yourself playing uh, in that process going forward from here? Our democracy is approaching 250 years of existence. It is absolutely essential that we are one country working towards the ideals that our forefathers uh, were working on when they created our form of government in the United States of America. What we need to do is work together on areas where we can move forward, where we can create a more perfect union. There's lots of pieces of policy that are out there that I think we see broad agreement on. Again, if you go back to, say, workforce development, let's take the small wins and move forward in areas where we can work together. The other is we need to have more conversations. One of the things that I've prided myself on in the first two years is I held 14 in-person town halls across southeast Wisconsin before we were struck by the coronavirus. I've held numerous telephone town halls since leveraging technology. And I can promise you of the hundreds and hundreds of people that have come to the listening sessions that I have held, not everyone agrees with everyone. But what I often believe is we walk out of the room maybe learning a little bit from each other. No one has a monopoly on good ideas. We need to be better listeners, uh, not only uh, in Washington, but across our society, listening to what others have to say and truly looking for what are the policies, what are the answers that we can agree on to move our country forward. Like it or not, just about all elections at just about every level right now would seem to be or are seen by many as a sort of referendum on the presidency of, of Donald Trump. Uh, in, in light of that, uh, what is your own assessment of, of the presidency of Donald Trump? And to what extent do you stand with President Trump? I stand with the policies that have been put forward by President Trump. I think if you look back over the last four years, the policies that were put forward moved our country forward, whether or not that was before we got punched in the face by coronavirus. We had one of the strongest economies 
we had seen in generations. We need to continue to put in place pro-growth policies that create jobs, in particular along the I-94 corridor from the Milwaukee Airport to the state line through the cities of Racine and Kenosha uh, and Oak Creek along the lake. Uh, we need to make sure we're negotiating from positions of strength and supporting the United States military. We've seen strong investments in our military. It allows us to negotiate peace through strength. I think we've seen that uh, over the past four years. I believe we need to have trade agreements that put workers and farmers here in southeast Wisconsin first. We've seen that over the past four years with the passage of USMCA. That's that trade agreement between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. And so when I look at the policies being put forward between the two candidates, to me, the choice is clear. I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, share any final thoughts that you have for our listeners. I, I appreciate you having me on this morning. What we need to do as a country is to come together to do a handful of absolutely critical things. One, we need to keep America healthy. We need to make sure that we ultimately defeat this coronavirus, that we provide people with affordable, accessible health care, in particular those with pre-existing conditions, and we need to protect Medicare. It's a promise we made to our seniors and a promise we need to keep. We need to get Wisconsin back to work. We need to put in place pro-growth policies that allow everyone who wants a job to make sure that they're able to find one. And we need to work with our men and women of law enforcement to keep our communities safe. Everyone in our community has a, has a right to feel safe. I worked hard over the last two years, uh, in particular, making myself available and accessible to folks across southeast Wisconsin. Uh, and I humbly ask your listeners for their vote, uh, either in person early or on November 3rd at the polls. Brian Stile is the uh, U.S. representative uh, for the 1st District of Wisconsin. Brian Stile, I appreciate you making time in your schedule uh, to be part of the morning show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to The Morning Show on WGTDHD, your gateway to public radio. I'm Gregory Berg. And in this portion of WGTD's Morning Show, uh, I'm going to be speaking with Roger Pollack, who is the Democratic challenger uh, in the 1st Congressional District uh, for the election that is uh, coming up uh, on Tuesday. And we appreciate the opportunity to be able to spend a few minutes over the phone with Mr. Pollock to find out a little bit about him and about some of his positions and views on some of the uh, issues of, of central importance to uh, the voters of southeastern Wisconsin. Roger Pollock, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Greg, thank you so much for having me, and thank you to the listeners out there for tuning in. Let's begin with something of a capsule summary so for people who do not know the Roger Pollack story can have a little better sense of, of where you come from, your connections to this part of the state, uh, where you have been and what you have been doing in recent years, and then we'll talk about what uh, has uh, drawn you into this uh, political campaign. Well, thank you for that, Greg. You know, I uh, am born and raised in Racine, Wisconsin. I grew up in a family, like a lot of families in the district, that struggled to make ends meet. You know, my mom worked three jobs while I was a kid to keep a roof over our heads, and my dad dealt with substantial mental health issues, which kept him out of work for long periods of time. Before that, he was a union worker, worked for United Auto Workers at J.I. Case. Uh, but as I said, you know, we struggled to make ends meet. And 
I was able to rise above that with the help from community and and from local and, and federal government. Uh, I benefited greatly from student loans and, and federal aid to get to University of Wisconsin-Madison. I was the first in my family to finish college. I served our country as a civilian intelligence analyst, uh, working to stop funding the terrorist organizations threatening our country. And I deployed to Afghanistan for almost two years as a, the deputy director of the Afghanistan Threat Finance, which focused on stopping the funding to the Taliban and other insurgent organizations in Afghanistan. I came back from that and worked to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, again, working to keep our country safe. And I went to law school, put myself through law school at night. And, you know, unlike Brian Style, I have a set of experiences and priorities that have prepared me to meet this moment in our, in our history. And my priorities are the people of southeastern Wisconsin, and I'm running a totally grassroots campaign to win this seat back from corporate special interests that have given my opponent over a million dollars to vote for them and against the people of Wisconsin. Did anything in particular serve as a catalyst for uh, drawing you, in a sense, back to Wisconsin and and into this particular race? You know, watching the priorities of the incumbent and the fact that those feel like they're directly at odds with the people of southeastern Wisconsin, watching them vote time and time again against the interests here in southeastern Wisconsin uh, and his cozying up to corporate special interest groups and the failure to have representation in this district, in my hometown, for over 20 years, looking out for democratic principles, drew me into this race. You know, I watched uh, with great interest and and believed that we had a fantastic opportunity to win in 2018. And and when that didn't happen, I took a hard look in the mirror and felt like I want to get in the fight and make sure that we have representation here that looks out for the needs of the people and and not for large corporations. And that's really what drew me in, to make sure that we unseat uh, Brian Stiles and that we have representation, again, that is looking out for everyday individuals. Is this your first political campaign? Uh, If if you were elected, would this be your first uh, elected political office? It would be. It would be. You know, and like I said, I'm not taking a dime of corporate PAC money. I am running a completely grassroots independent campaign that will allow me, if elected, to go into office for the first time and focus solely on the needs of the people of southeastern Wisconsin. And that is a marked sea change from what we have had here for over 20 years. One of the most significant events, of course, to happen here in southeastern Wisconsin is what occurred in Kenosha in late August uh, with the shooting of Jacob Blake and the demonstrations and the riots which uh, which ensued in the wake of, of that incident. Uh, mm-hmm. Much hard work lies ahead, uh, not only for the uh, community of, of Kenosha, but communities uh, across the state and, and, and across the country uh, around Absolutely. very difficult issues of, of race and racism and particularly systemic racism. Uh, how do you see us moving forward when it comes to some of these uh, difficult matters, and uh, what role would you want to play in that? Well, first off, I think we need to acknowledge that exactly as you said, systemic racism exists. And my opponent, Brian Stile, again, was unable to give straight answers on this issue when asked about systemic racism, whether or not 
it exists. He said that it is just uh, some sociological terminology used to pass policy. And partly based on that, the Janesville Gazette, his hometown newspaper, which endorsed him in 2018, endorsed my campaign for his inability to give straight answers on this and other issues. Listen, for me, what how we start dealing with this is greater engagement with communities of color. And that starts with listening, hearing what is important to them and the kind of person they're looking for in their next member of Congress. I think that means looking at police reform. I think we need to give officers the resources that they need to be effective community police uh, officials, but also make sure that the community has accountability to the police officers. And I think one way that we do that is making sure that there are body cameras in, in uh, local police forces. You know, the fact that in, until 2022, body cameras are not on the Kenosha uh, budget is problematic. And I think, you know, there are legis federal legislation out there right now, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I totally support that. Uh, and the reforms in that bill would uh, prevent officers from using chokeholds, create a national use of force database, looks at uh, amending use of force guidelines, and it gives police the resources that they need. And you talk about Kenosha, you know, one of the things that troubled me most about the aftermath of that is that Brian Style went out of his way to try and take credit for the good work that was done within our state to bring the violence and the rioting and looting, as he said, to an end more quickly than throughout the rest of the country. You know, and I believe that Kenosha can be an example for the rest of the country on how to move forward organically. And Ryan Style has used Kenosha to stoke fear, to manipulate public perception of what is really a, a tragic time for personal gain. And I believe he should be ashamed of himself. And, and I'll say this, too. Unlike Ryan Style, I actually have experience working with law enforcement. I worked very closely with the Department of Justice, with the FBI uh, and Homeland Security, all the major federal law enforcement agencies throughout my career to investigate criminal and insurgent organizations uh, throughout Afghanistan and, and, you know, organizations working to attack the United States. So if you want, if, if individuals listening out there want a law enforcement candidate, you know, vote for someone who has actually worked hand in hand with law enforcement and only experienced is far more than simply uh, ride-alongs with the police and, and posts on his Twitter feed showing him smiling with police officers. We're speaking with Roger Pollack, who is the Democratic challenger for the 1st Congressional District here in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, Mr. Pollack, of course, Wisconsin is not unique in uh, struggling with COVID-19, but uh, as we are recording this interview, there are certainly alarming numbers being seen uh, here in the state of Wisconsin. How would you assess the way that uh, we have, as a, as a nation, and, and, and how our government has, has helped us to contend with the challenges of COVID-19 and moving forward, what would you hope would be uh, changes in policy that uh, would, would lead to uh, a, a brighter future in this respect? Yes, Greg, that's you know, absolutely on the forefront of everyone's minds right now. And listen, we're in the middle of an economic and public health crisis that has destroyed businesses and cost the lives of over 223,000 Americans now and over 1,700 Wisconsinites. That's 200 more Wisconsinites have died in the last week. And where is the leadership? You know, we're, we are told that in times of crisis, leaders rise and show themselves 
And we haven't seen that from the President of the United States, and we're certainly not seeing it here in our district from Brian Stile. You know, Brian and the President have failed at the most important job of government, which is keeping Americans safe. And that's because of their wrong priorities. And unlike Brian Stile, again, I have a set of experiences and priorities that have prepared me to meet this moment. And what has happened at the federal government is the failure to listen to medical professionals and scientists. You know, the, the president knew in early February that this was an airborne deadly disease and millions would be infected and that hundreds of thousands of people would die. And he failed to tell the American people that. Brian Stile calls, calls the federal government's and Donald Trump specifically, his action in response to this as, quote, unquote, decisive. You know, and that's just not the case. There hasn't been decisive action. There hasn't been a coordinated federal response. There continues to lack a plan from the U.S. government, from the president on this. And that is extremely disappointing. Uh, and that, that is using that, you know, that's like the lightest word you can use. It is troubling. And moving forward, we need to make sure that relief money is getting to working families and small businesses, not large corporations only. You know, and, and we saw in the first, the CARES Act, that individuals, small businesses had to line up against large corporations to get money. I think we need to make sure that small businesses here in southeastern Wisconsin and throughout the country have a, their own queue to line up in to get the funds. And I would not have voted against the HEROES Act, which Brian Stile did. I would not call getting stimulus to unemployed individuals unfair, quote-unquote unfair, as Brian Stile has done. And I would not have voted against the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which Brian Stile did, which gave sick leave and medical leave, free testing, expanded Medicaid assistance, and food aid. He is in the extreme right on this. And his own party passed that bill. Donald Trump signed it into law, and he voted against it. You know, he'll say that it came and was passed unanimously, but he had one vote on it. He only voted on that bill one time, and he voted against it. He's also voted against measures to have greater transparency and accountability about where these PPP funds are going. He voted against a bill that would create a special committee armed with subpoena power to see where that funding is going. And this is the worst thing, in my opinion. He voted against a bill that would protect renters and homeowners from eviction and foreclosure due to the economic hardships caused by COVID-19. If you flip all of that on its head, I would have been voting for all of those initiatives and making sure that the individuals of southeastern Wisconsin get the resources that they need. Touching on the matter of our economy and the fact that it has been uh, so adversely affected by COVID-19, what would you say are the central principles uh, necessary uh, in order to rebuild uh, our economy? We need to make sure that, again, we are getting the funds where they need to be. You know, one of the fundamental differences that we see right now is Republicans and Brian Stile in particular pointing to the fact that we need to have a scalpel or we need to worry about the deficit in this time. I'll tell you, there was no worrying about the deficit when the corporate tax rate was reduced substantially under the 2017 tax code, which has caused, which Donald Trump has overseen the fastest increase in the debt of any president, almost 36 percent from 2017 to 2020. And so you can't now start saying that you're concerned about the deficit and you're concerned about the deficit when it comes to bailing out everyday individuals. You know, it's okay to bail out large corporations, but when it comes to everyday individuals, apparently now we have to worry about the deficit. In times of great crisis in the history of our country, the Great Depression, World War II, we focused on saving lives and getting people back to work. And that's what we need to do right now. And I believe 
that the people of southeastern Wisconsin can compete with anyone in this entire country if given the opportunity. And we've shown that time and time again throughout the history of this region. And we have to invest more in jobs and skills training, both students in high school and community colleges and those out of school looking to learn and trade. You know, my mom went back to Gateway Technical School after being laid off from her job and working uh, working at Shopco, you know, a very low-paying job. And she went back to Gateway, got a degree in health insurance coding. And now she loves her new job and the sense of security it brings to her. And these are the new skills and training opportunities that should be available at a low cost to all Americans. And I'll tell you what, I'll also champion infrastructure investment in the southeastern Wisconsin that positions us for the future, that works to help our environment, and that creates large numbers of families supporting jobs here. We need to set up southeast Wisconsin for success, unlike Brian Stiley has done in his first term and his predecessors before him. Let's talk for a moment about uh, health care. And this, of course, is also a matter of, of primary importance, particularly in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, what kind of health care system do you uh, advocate for and, and would you work towards uh, were you to be elected to the U.S. Congress? I am for a health care system that ensures that every American has quality, affordable health care. I believe that Healthcare is a human right, and I believe that we can achieve that in our country. And I believe that we need an expanded public option that gives more people access to that health care. You know, the Affordable Care Act had some groundbreaking principles in it that have been realized. It allowed individuals to stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26. Never was the case before that. Pre-existing conditions were covered for the first time. Again, it was never the case before the Affordable Care Act that pre-existing conditions were covered. It's the only law that makes that the case. Over 20 million Americans that didn't have health insurance were insured under the Affordable Care Act, but there's still a huge gap. 28 million Americans in our country are without health insurance. And I grew up in a family where paying health care costs was a major concern. And I remember seeing bills around the house throughout my childhood about treating my father's health issues. And I know that was a huge source of anxiety. And with this pandemic that we're in, it's clear now more than ever that we need to shore up our health care system. And Brian Stile and the Republicans are talking about repealing the cornerstone of our healthcare system in the midst of a pandemic. It would leave millions of Americans, hundreds of thousands of Wisconsinites uninsured. We need to build on the Affordable Care Act, not replace it. And that means eliminating surprise billing, driving down the cost of prescription drug prices, and always protecting coverage for those with pre-existing conditions. You'll hear from Brian Stile saying that he's about covering pre-existing conditions. He voted against the bill that would ensure pre-existing conditions are covered. He's voted against the bill that would allow the U.S. government to bring down the cost of pharmaceutical prices by negotiating with pharmaceutical companies. He is against reducing the cost of health care. And when asked, how do you reduce the, health, the cost of health care? He points to health savings plans. Health savings plans is not going to help anyone that's uninsured right now or that's has very basic coverage. That allows someone to put pre-tax dollars into a savings account to then use it down the road. And that's a great, that's already in place. It's in place for millions of Americans already. That is not a plan. That is not a plan to get over the 28 million Americans who lack health insurance covered. How high a priority for you is climate change? And uh, were you to be uh, elected to, uh, to, the, to the House 
what would you be advocating for in terms of America's response to climate change? Listen, I believe that climate change is a huge problem for our country. I'm the father of two young children, Bennett, who's three, and Fiona, who's one. And I want them to grow up in a healthy and safe environment, and that means addressing climate change today. You know, it's a severe and imminent threat, and we live in a district that borders Lake Michigan. And I know, just like all the listeners out there, how important preserving our nation's natural heritage is. And I will absolutely champion legislation that limits the effects of climate change. I I believe we do this through a few ways. We have clean energy investments. We incentivize infrastructure and greenhouse gas emissions to lower. And we provide greater access to clean and affordable transportation choices. These will have the benefits of increasing the number of family-supporting jobs in southeastern Wisconsin. I believe we also need to strengthen the EPA after the Trump administration has gutted it. And listen, I will be able to do this because I am not beholden to oil companies. Brian Stile, again, the incumbent that I'm running against, has taken tens of thousands of dollars from the oil and gas industry since taking office. And his record on climate legislation shows that he is to the right of most Republicans on this issue. He's voted against the bill that would hold oil and gas companies accountable for improvements on federal land, taking profits from them. Trump actually signed this bill into law, and Brian Stile voted against it. And, you know, he's a Great Lakes congressman, but he voted against proposals that would study the environmental sensitivity of the Great Lakes. He's also voted against the bill that would study the global climate change threat and what what threat that that poses to U.S. national security. So unlike Brian Stout, if you care about climate change, and Joe Biden has said this, climate change is on the ballot this year. If you care about that and you want a representative that will be fighting for real action on climate change, vote for Roger Pollack. We are living right now in a a very divided America. What path do you see forward in terms of a coming together, uh, and what kind of role do you foresee for yourself? And in particular, if you were to be elected uh, to the U.S. Congress, uh, what kind of work would you try to do uh, in terms of cooperation with those uh, across the aisle? You know, again, I, I served in both the Bush and Obama administrations. I know what it's like to work with Republicans and Democrats. My politics are very much in the center. And I believe that we are, as you said, in one of the most divisive times in our nation's history, and we need individuals who are going to be able to work across the aisle. You know, when I was in Afghanistan for almost two years, it was about focusing on the mission. I'm a very mission-focused individual. It's not about who gets credit for what or shooting down bad ideas just because of the party that initiated the proposal. I think we need to look at proposals from the left and from the right and come up with the best solutions to bring this country together. You know, this is a critical time in our nation's history, and we need to elect representatives who are willing to work across the aisle and not vote on the extreme wings of their party, and that's not going to be me. I will be all about bringing together our district, talking to people that are Republican and Democrat and all spectrum of the p- political persuasion to bring the best ideas forward for working on behalf of the people of southeastern Wisconsin. Like it or not, nearly all elections at nearly every level seem to uh, be a referendum on the presidency of of Donald Trump. Uh, Briefly, 
what is your assessment of the presidency of of Donald Trump and 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 where we are? I think it's been an abject failure. I think the number one reason for government and its number one purpose is to keep Americans safe, and he's failed to do that. Over 220,000 Americans are dead under his leadership, and that's reason enough to vote him out of office. Uh, even prior to that, his policies have been divisive, and he has not worked on behalf of working-class individuals for the people of southeastern Wisconsin to improve their lives. And it's clear to me that we need a change in leadership. We need to bring decency and respectability back to the White House, and we need to vote Joe Biden in for presidency. I completely support his campaign and am am completely behind him. I think he will be a breath of fresh air for this country, and he will bring back, again, honor and, and decency to that position that is the most important position in our entire country. I want to give you 30 to 45 seconds for a a closing thought or closing statement. Well, thank you for that. You know, I will say this. If you want a representative that is looking out for the needs of corporations over everyday individuals, then Brian Stiles is your man. But if you want an individual who knows about service, who grew up in a working class family, who knows what it's like to be in a family that has anxiety about paying the bills, who is completely independent, who has not taken a dime of money from corporations to run his campaign. If you want to vote for a candidate that actually has worked with law enforcement to get the job done to keep our country safe, then vote for Roger Pollack. You know, my wife, Amanda, and I, are, we're concerned about the type of future that we're going to leave our children. I mentioned them, Bennett and Fiona. And we are going to fight like mad to give them and their generation the best America possible. And if you feel the same way, please vote Roger Pollack by November 3rd. Vote early or vote the day of. And please visit my website, rogerforwisconsin.com, to learn more information. Roger Pollack, we appreciate your time. Thank you for being part of the morning show today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.